This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mully and Haw Show on 6-7 to score. Dan Weeder is from the Chicago Tribune, covers the Bears at Hallis Hall, where he is right now. Dan, we're talking within an hour or so after Shane Waldron and Eric Washington, the new coordinators for the Chicago Bears, were introduced by a new look, Matt Eberflus, which may have stolen the show. (laughs) Matt Eberflus had a lot of nice things to say about Washington and Waldron, and they made their first impressions what were yours before we get into some of the nitty gritty from Shaden Waldron in Washington? Well, first and foremost, I told our friend Mark Grody that now he has to grow some gray stubble to continue to have the Eberflus look pay off for him like he was doing late in the season. And so Grody's got some work ahead of him. He thinks he's very capable of stepping up to that challenge. Uh, as it relates to the new coordinators here, it's a, a new era. Um, and I think that it, it would be important to emphasize that the Bears are going into a very pivotal stretch ahead of them with a new staff that we need to learn a lot more about. We need to know how capable they are of um, propelling this team to the next level, because if they don't, we're going to be sitting through another set of introductions in the not too distant future. And so I think that that my initial takeaway was just kind of realizing that interesting dynamic of having these new introductions at a time where um, Matt Eberflus, who's been here for two years, is going to have to show results in 2024 in order to, to keep this thing moving in the right direction. I thought they had a nice presentation. I felt like it was definitely something that was a positive thing to do. And and they hired him a while ago. So maybe this was overdue, but I I've said uh, on the, on the morning show. And, and I think that w- what I heard backed it up a little bit. This was all about style, not necessarily substance. We were going to get a sense of how, each man, how each coach who's a veteran of the NFL communicates with an audience, maybe even commands a room, if you will. But I don't think you were going to get many specifics. I think everybody wanted to know how much Shane Waldron would give about <laughs> quarterback debate. And he was very little, very little. And, and I think that's smart. I think that's very smart because, you know, we aren't at that stage yet. And he isn't the one that should be revealing any kind of clue, even though we all want to know. Um, let's start with Waldron. Dan, I, I mean, he's definitely fits on Matt Eberflus' staff. You can see why he's a grinder. Uh, you can see why he's intense. And you can see how he would be able to explain the game and, and work as hard as anybody. Uh, passionate about his job, proven in what he has done. And um, I, I think that overall, he, he made a positive first impression and didn't say anything that would give you reasons to think, oh boy, this is going to be 
uh, a tough guy to listen to. I, I didn't think so, and, and I felt like he he represented himself very professionally. Seemed a little bit nervous to me uh, out of the gates, uh, and, and some of that's just getting comfortable at, probably with what you can say and what you can't say at a very delicate time of the year. Mark Potash, longtime veteran on this uh, this beat, uh, made an observation at the end of both of the, the coordinators in saying that we only had one current player's name brought up and it was only a first name it was montez by eric washington uh and so there wasn't a lot of specifics about the team and the units that these guys are inheriting for me going into this with shane today um some of the things that you're trying to at least get at is his overview of the quarterback position well he wasn't going to give much there did not um answer directly in any way shape or form a question that was specifically about Caleb Williams that I asked just getting his initial impression of the guy that the Bears are going to have to study here in the coming weeks didn't offer a lot on his evaluation of Justin Fields in fact nothing on his uh, evaluation of Justin Fields beyond that though I thought the two things to me that, that really stood out and resonated were number one him describing his growth as a play caller obviously one of the th- reasons the Bears were attracted to him in this role is because he has previous play calling experience. Um, he talked about kind of the evolution over three years in Seattle uh, and the ability to, to kind of find calm in game on the line situations, which we talk about the quarterback all the time. Well, your coordinator and your play caller needs to have that as well. And so he reflected back on a, a couple game winning drives in this past season with the Seahawks that, that he felt very proudly uh, about in regards to his ability to, to find the right play, to understand that even if uh, you don't call the right play in one moment, moment the next play could be the most important play of the game um so i thought that was interesting for a guy that is going to need to lean on that previous play calling experience with whoever's playing quarterback for the bears in 2024 um and i guess i'll get your your feedback on that and then i'll, I'll give you my other take yeah i think i think that's a good observation as far as it pertains to kind of like the nerves or anxiety i, I feel like anybody in that situation might have some of that even though you might be proven because of what you can't say how excited you might be about this opportunity. He mentioned the, you know, the, the Bears storied franchise a couple times. And I think that definitely is something that he connected with. But there are times that I know we sit, talk about Matt Eberflus not being the most skilled orator either. But <laughs> there are times when Matt Eberflus would appear at the end of a season or after a game or whatever the case would be. And I thought that he was a little bit nervous at the end sure. of the season. So I think sometimes this is just kind of the way intense coaches operate and Shane Waldron strikes me as somebody who is going to be somebody who's plugged in all the time. That's not a bad thing. And and I also think I'm hesitant to be uh, too analytical about this or nitpicky because Dan, I think, you know, said this before, it's a common thing in situations like this. You want to hear from these guys and you sort of not implore, but you encourage, you know, the bears and and whatever team you're covering to put these guys out there. When they do, you know they can't say very much. So I don't feel that comfortable or yeah, no doubt raising the way that he communicated because I thought it was just fine. Yeah, no doubt. We just have to kind of kind of watch it as we go forward and yeah. see how quickly he acclimates to this role. Because again, this is a this is a big boy job, you know, for it's these tough job head coaches, these coordinators, the next quarterback to come in here. You got to understand that you're up there every single week and the predecessors in all those positions can tell you that every word you speak is going to be scrutinized and it's going to be taken to radio stations and podcasts and blogs and newspapers and, you know, online publications. And it's going to, it's going to be scrutinized. Ask Justin Fields about his social media habits, which we can get to later and, and just to have an understanding of how, 
bright this spotlight is and how intense the scrutiny can be. I, I did think, you know, another one of the, the the skins on the wall for Shane Waldron right now is the work he did in Seattle in, in reviving Geno Smith's career. And when he was asked about that, he talked um, pretty glowingly about the, the connection that he had with Gino, Gino's ability to be dialed in. And he, he spoke specifically of his unwavering mindset and, and the ability to have a positive mindset, regardless of the situation where Gino just believed that he was an NFL starter and carried himself in that way every single day, even when it wasn't guaranteed that he was going to be that. And he sort of catalyzed his own growth. And then that connection piece with Shane Waldron allowed it to go to a level um, where he obviously did some, some amazing things in 2022. Uh, And so you want to replicate that, you know, whoever the quarterback is here, you want to be able to instill that kind of mindset. You want, you want to be able to create that kind of bond and have that synergy between uh, play caller and quarterback that produces results because in the end uh, this is all about um, results on game days and then everything else you know the the, the performances at the lectern uh, become uh, much more positive and, and they are graded much more positively when you're on a three to five game winning streak he talked about G- what Geno Smith was able to do to go from being Russell Wilson's backup to being a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, which I think Shane Waldron gets and probably deserves a share of the credit for. I think that's what he talked about today. Um, and did it strike you that the biggest thing that he revealed was maybe just how positive Geno Smith was able to keep in the midst of, you know, yeah. that kind of transition and and maintain that uh, attitude and, it wasn't yeah, anything technical or anything mechanical or anything schematic. It was all about the the perseverance that one has to show. In yeah, the mindset. Like you know, the mindset. And the, the mindset is such a critical piece of that position. Um, and that's why this next set of homework that the Bears have to do on the quarterbacks that they may be considering to replace Justin Fields, a.k.a. Caleb Williams and some others, uh, is going to require this homework piece. And, and Shane did talk about that generally uh, in the terms of, of going out and and really enjoying the part of the pre-draft process that will start next week in Indianapolis where you get these 18-minute formal interviews at the combine and then you get a pro day and you get a visit and you get a on-campus visit a Hellas hall visit whatever it may be with these players he talked about learning their story you know everybody's got a backstory everybody's got motivations everybody's got uh goals and reasons why they're chasing those goals and 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 it is really key and critical for coaching staff to to dial in on that and and understand that dna and understand those compasses so that you get a better understanding of of who a player is and then if you're so inclined to unite with them how you can push them in the direction that they will respond to coaching and get the best out of them. Do you think that coaching, and this is a total tangent a little bit, but I'm just curious before we move on to Eric Washington or any other observations about Shane Waldron, you know, I was listening to him and, and I, and I wondered this and it's more rhetorical because I don't, I'm not sure there is an answer, but do you think the coaching profession, I think specifically maybe, I don't know if that's college as much as pro because they're different roles. Like, these guys are like relentlessly positive individuals. Uh, their, their, their makeup is, is very, like, there are exceptions, I'm sure. But like, I'm thinking when you listen to Shane Waldron, he sounded a little bit like Lou Getze at times. He sounded a little bit like, you know, uh, Matt Nagy at times. And, you, you know, it, the job is so public and the criticism is so consistent yeah. that I do wonder, does it make these guys – relentlessly positive as a result of what they know they have to face or do you just does it attract guys who are relentlessly positive because of the job description i don't know which is the case but it does strike me that that's always the first impression most of the time of these coaches in these situations is that boy 
does he find a way to stay positive and keep things like looking optimistically when, you know, you look at it, you, not everyone's going to look at it that way. I think it's the latter. I mean, I really do think that um, particularly at this level, leadership requires you to set a tone and the tone that you're going to get the most results out of is being able to uh, win or lose, come back in a steady mindset, but also just have the people that you're leading believe that you're going in the right direction. And that, and that you, even if it is, um, obstructed at times that the road that you're on, you're going to find a way through it, you know, and you're going to get to where you want to go. And I just think that's, that's part of the, the DNA and the wiring you need to have in those positions to be able to, to galvanize a room and galvanize a, a unit. And, and, and so um, they're going to have to squeeze results out of that. I do think, you know, Shane also talked today about uh, being adaptable, which was a priority for, for Matt Eberflus. I thought that was a, a buzzword here at Hellas Hall today and understanding that, you know, you are going to be required to put together, the puzzle and you're sometimes going to be forced to put together the puzzle every single week. Sometimes you're going to be facing an opponent that makes you reconfigure the puzzle. Sometimes you're going to have injuries or, um, you know, personnel decisions that affect the puzzle you're putting together. And so the ability to be adaptable is required in there. And then Shane just talked about from his own standpoint, being able to teach and position players properly, you know, and I think those two things are, are, are huge and, and his uh, ability to do that at a high level is going to be tested. And, and obviously again, you know, incrementally, and then at the end of the season, we'll have results to judge that, that show, are you teaching? Well, are you positioning players properly? And sometimes even that isn't always enough and, and, and the results just aren't where they need to be. And uh, everybody's got to go find a new start. <laughs> How does he feel about him have already having a parking structure named after him to the, to the Waldron deck? He was not. I know you're about excited that. about that. I mean, that, yeah. that it's probably going to get torn down soon when they're building a new stadium <laughs> yeah, okay. on the Waldron deck. You know, so um, we'll see which direction that goes. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. How about Eric Washington? Uh, he has been here before. He knows the, the Chicago scene from coaching at Northwestern and being on the Bears staff of a pretty good defense. Um, you weren't here then. Did he reference yeah. that? And what, what yeah, he do you did. think of the impression he made? I, I, I thought Eric uh, had a good command today of the of the room and, and just trying to articulate some of his vision and why he will work in this role under Matt Eberflus with Matt Eberflus still being the guy that's going to be calling the defense on game days in relation to his previous stop here at Hellasol, 2008 to 2010 uh, under Lovey Smith. That was his entry 
into the NFL coaching ranks coming over from Northwestern. Um, he was a defensive assistant initially and then took over the defensive line. And he talked about a defensive line that included Julius Peppers and Alex Brown and Israel Adonage and Tommy Harris and, and Spice Adams and, and just talked about the varying skill sets that that group had, but the similar mindset they had. And you remember it, you covered it. You, you know how relentless that group was as, as part of a defense that obviously had big time playmakers behind them as well in the linebacking core and the secondary. And you just, you, you know, you feel the appreciation for that. Eric, Eric, you know, it's been 16 years since he started that gig. He's got experience in Carolina. He's got experience in Buffalo. He's got uh, wisdom that those stops provided that are going to help him be a resource and a guy that can provide productive feedback and, and guidance to Matt Eberflus as he kind of juggles this role. We talked last year about, you know, being the guy who calls the plays, but still being responsible for being the head coach of the football team. Well, Eric Washington seemed very comfortable in the supporting role and very confident that he could be what Matt Eberflus needs him to be in that role. And I thought that was uh, interesting to hear today. That's why that's a big reason why he had to be very appealing because, you know, he has had, uh, experience and he doesn't seem to bring a big ego to Hallis Hall. And he, he that was evident today just in hearing him talk. He did seem a little bit more seasoned. I do remember him somewhat from the first time, but that was a long time ago. He's a much different coach in person now, uh, 16 years later, 14 years later, or whatever the case is. And, and I think that, you know, it's just another example in Waldron, in Washington, you're getting guys whose experience is very appealing and at this point of the bears growth with this roster that's what you want you don't want guys who are doing the job any of those jobs for the first time you want somebody who's going to be able to come in here not be phased by, by any pressure or the, the the market or the intense scrutiny but they're going to be able to produce nonetheless no question and, and eric washington expressed his appeal on this job, you know, as he was going through the interview process in January and understanding that this is a defense that you are coming in to help oversee. That was the best in the NFL last year in stopping the run. That was top five in the league in takeaways. And you see those two foundational pieces of being able to make a team one dimensional by, by stopping the run effectively, and then being able to capitalize on that by taking the football away. And you see a formula for, for winning football. And so it was really interesting to hear him say that, and then kind of um, add the exclamation point on top of it by saying, I'm here to help build the best pass rush in football. And he believes in his ability to do that with the defensive line. He obviously has a tremendous chess piece to work with in Montez Sweat. And so now he's just eager to get to work with this group, understanding that particularly with his expertise on the defensive line, that you've got a chance now to take two young defensive tackles. You've got Andrew Billings as that, that stuffer in the middle. Um, you've got Montez Sweat and whatever else they decide to add in free agency in the draft to help your pass rush. And now you've got a, a chance to, to really take a defense that was on the rise and now turn it into what, Bears defenses of old used to be, which is just the, the, the engine of success. No doubt about it. Last thing on Washington I'd say is that, you know, it, it feels like the Bears, after sort of creating the dysfunction that they had to endure with the Allen Williams leaving and Matt Eberflus adjusting and calling the signals, and now you look at what's happened with the personnel and you look at now what the kind of staff they have. It's yeah. a very good, proven, veteran defensive staff. Matt Eberflus is part of that defensive staff because he's the play caller. But you package that with what they still could get in free agency if they're able to go out and get an edge rusher or whatever the case is. If they you know, replace Eddie Jackson adequately and they draft intelligently, the Bears defense could be as special as everyone says. And, and when you hear Eric Washington talk, 
and you do a lot of nodding and because you feel like this is a group that is just ready to take off. Well, yeah. And when he was asked about kind of Matt's role in, in staying in the play calling chair, you know, he essentially said, why would you want to stymie the momentum of what the bears built up last year? And so you, you know that they were on an upward climb toward the, the, the latter stages of last year, and you want to keep that rolling and, and take it to a new level. I did also think as we reflect back on the, his period here from 28 to 2010, 2008 to 2010, um, you know, he talked about that being a defense that wasn't, built on scheme that they weren't trying to outsmart opponents that it was we're going to be a fundamentally sound team we're going to have terrific situational awareness we're going to really really hone in on player development and then we're going to ask our guys to win their one-on-ones and so those are some principles here that seem to marry up very well with the philosophy and the vision of the head coach Matt Eberflus Um, and so those guys should be on the same page at at the outset and then it's all about just kind of kind of creating that momentum and, and and making sure it doesn't slow down now on to the serious stuff, Instagram. So <laughs> what was your impression? What did you think of Justin Fields' very interesting appearance on the St. Brown Brothers podcast in which he explained why he unfollowed the Bears? And he also said some things about the Falcons and the Lions and a lot of other things that led you to believe it was definitely a version of Justin Fields we rarely see. He was ex- extremely relaxed. He was very candid. I thought it was his best version of the public version of Justin Fields, probably the one that people in that locker room see and and, and relate to and, and love so much. What did you think, Dan? Did you listen to the entirety of the, the podcast? I listened to the majority of it. Yeah, probably the last five minutes I, I was out, but I, I did listen to most of it. Um, I, I asked you that just morning. because there was some some chatter in the media room this afternoon about it being a bit of a hard lesson, a hard listen, as as smooth and comfortable and uh, admirable as Justin Fields came across the, the the podcast itself was it was so clunky. There's a lot of gratuitous cursing. It's all over the map. There's some like immature. It just felt like we needed some guardrails on the thing. Well, let, okay, let, let, but let's be honest about what this is. You know, I, I, you're right. No you're doubt. right. Uh, you have two brothers. <laughs> Whether it's the Kelsey's or the St. Browns, there's going to be some unprofessional aspects of a podcast that is that is basically two football players getting a third football player. And essentially what we're doing is we're, this is locker room talk. This is the way they talk to each other. It's informal. It's disjointed. It's <laughs> there, there, there aren't follow up questions that you naturally would ask, but the expectations are low. I mean, I listened to it uh, on my drive in very early this uh, on, on Thursday morning because it was the best use of my time uh, in my commute. And I, and I wanted to have a sense of what Justin Fields said that was relevant. Now, that's the only thing we care about. You can, I'm sure, Potash was probably leading the charge. You can pick apart the... He was not. Oh, okay. But it was choppy. And it was maybe difficult yeah. at times to, to decipher. But the parts just- from Justin Fields were interesting. Just a little aside for me, if you could get big voice guy to record a promo for the St. Brown brothers, that says informal, disjointed, no follow-up questions, low expectations. Join us next week on the St. Brown brothers podcast. That'd be, that'd be accurate. That'd be accurate. You know, as it it relates to Justin's sentiments and the the great Instagram mystery that bubbled up this week, I, I, you know, listen, like I don't, hide the fact that I truly admire the way Justin handles himself. And he handled himself in that form as well as he's 
ever handled himself. He was comfortable. He was smooth. He didn't seem like he was hiding anything. He tried to uh, give an answer to that question, essentially saying, look, I'm going on vacation soon. I unfollowed the NFL. I unfollowed the Bears. I was tired of seeing this stuff in my timeline. Every post that has to do with the Bears is either keep Justin, we want fields or, you know, go draft Caleb. And eventually it gets exhausting. Well, mm-hmm. man, Justin, I can empathize because I've yep. been exhausted by it and it has nothing to do with me. That's his entire life that people have been talking about for weeks in ways that I, I can't even imagine how exhausting that would get. So his ability to have thick skin, to be able to roll with that, to be able to explain that was great. And then I also thought it was just um, really telling that he said he just wants an answer, you know, as, as I think most of the league does. You know, which direction is it going to be? Is Justin going to be traded? Uh, is he going to be brought back? Is he going to be brought back alongside a, a, a rookie? Um, there's a lot of answers that need to come uh and until they come i think he's going to be left kind of swimming in this this pretty uncomfortable uh these waters where where you just you just don't know what to expect and you can't ever really relax i love that he called out alex anzalone as a dirty player for the lions <laughs> i love that he did that i, I that's the only like, direct shot at amon Ra too you know because there's the lions rivalry there exactly but yeah. there's a good rivalry and he played well against the lions and i and i think that uh, when he did that, that's the only time I've thought this offseason, like, oh, boy, that would be fun to have him back because if they played the Lions, that would be great. But it, it, it's, a, it's a moot point. He, he, he also called out Tony Corrente from the uh, Monday Night Football game of 2021, the uh, the little hip check into Cassius March and the yes. penalty flag that may have cost the Bears a uh, fourth quarter Justin Fields win, by the way. That, that, that's what that, that penalty did. And so uh, Justin said he felt cheated. And, and it was another moment where I agreed with him that in my time covering the league, that was one of the most egregious mistakes and poor penalty flag throws that I've ever seen in, in the sport. Uh, and so y- those scars don't always go away and they trigger memories. And when you're asked about them, you're free to free to expound on them as Justin did in that instance. Well, it just underscores that whoever's on Justin Fields team that is in charge of, you know, PR or image or media training, tell him to be more like this at his next stop. Or if he returns to Chicago, with with the Bears media core, because I think that maybe he doesn't have to be that quite informal and uh, and, and talk a, that you know, there's a difference but, but between it was fun. It was a fun version of Justin Fields. There's a difference between the middle of February, you got nothing to do, and yep. Wednesday of Week Five, and you got a, a long list of to do list tasks for your football responsibility. Sometimes that makes you a little bit more rigid and uptight. Um, but I'm with you. He, he came across well, and and I, I didn't walk away from that podcast going being like oh man this is a uh a, a dude who's in over his head you know you, you don't feel that way you just kind of want a resolution to this quarterback situation that's hanging out there he obviously wants that as soon as anybody um and so we'll we'll see which direction it goes you know I, like i think you could probably interpret that the actual act of taking your thumb and clicking unfollow on the account of the team that you're employed by is is a, a, a subconsciously or or consciously a, a, an understanding of of the direction this may be headed, um, and so uh, that's that, right? To me, it's like going on vacation and not checking your work email, and or you know, if I'm going to uh, Aruba next week, I'm not, but I wish if I were. <laughs> I, I would, you know, I, on my phone, I would probably not, I would delete the Odyssey app just because uh, I wouldn't want to, I would get, everyone wants to get away. This was, he said he was, he said he was headed to Amsterdam and Milan. So very fancy. I know. Very fancy vacation. The last thing on that I, I, I thought was really sad and, and not everyone really appreciated me pointing this out on, on the morning show, but I do think it's, it, it was sad to me. Uh, 
his highlight of his Bears career, if this is the end of it, <laughs> was the first preseason game. Now, I understand what he means because it represented, hey, I'm a it. kid who just wanted to walk on the Clemson football team. I've arrived. I'm a pro. I'm in the NFL. That's great. And I, I think it shows kind of a degree of humility that it's obvious to see in him. But I also think, like, that speaks to why we are where we are yeah. following the Bears. That's the highlight of your Bears starting quarterback the last three years. They don't, they don't have a playoff game to point to. They don't have a division title that, that, that says, you know, I've arrived. It was the first preseason game, and it never got better than that. Right. And, you know, look, like you're looking for signature victories. There's only 10 to choose from, you know, and so you've got the Lions game this year. You've got uh, the New England game on Monday night. You've got the Falcons finale at Soldier Field on New Year's Eve and the cigar party that happened after it. Um, you know, they're, they're the Washington game uh, on Thursday night football, the four touchdowns to DJ Moore. The, 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 it's not a long menu to choose right. from and you wish it was longer. And if it was longer, we probably aren't having the discussions that we've been having for the last, you know, 15 months to be quite honest with you about, about the direction of this franchise and this quarterback. I was hoping that he was going to pull out something like a double truck of the Chicago Tribune from whatever weekend it was where you ranked every start. And he would have said, you know, with Dan Wieter's help, I was able to uh, come to the conclusion that whatever it was, was my number one memory. I can't even remember which one game it was. It was a Washington game. It was a Washington game. And it, the, the reason I know that right off the top of my hand is because we did that after 35 starts. I just updated it this week to include 36, 37, and 38. And the, the, the Falcons game on New Year's Eve checked in at number two. So uh, that tells you where, where – maybe number three. It might have been three behind the, the Dolphins explosion. I can't remember where we where we slotted. But it was a top three start to end. And uh, it just there just weren't enough of those – big performances that were married up with victories that led you to believe that, okay, this is, this is a, 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 an absolute express train to the success that this franchise wants to enjoy. I wonder where his first Falcon start will fall on his list of all time best starts. I wonder we'll have to wait until week one of 2024 to find that out perhaps. So you're reporting that. Okay. I got it. David I'm not Hall, reporting that. No, David I'm reporting pure speculation to go pure. to the Atlanta Falcons. Pure speculation. I, I am not. Although, did you hear there was a report that uh, I think Jordan Schultz, a uh, guy who's been in the news, he was in the news last in Chicago when Allen Robinson was talking to him. Jordan Schultz reported there's a there's a buzz around Atlanta, <laughs> around the Falcons, that Justin Fields is coming to town. So we'll have to definitely monitor that. You know, well, Dan, now go ahead. No, I was going to say one, one thing just to tack on, because these conversations, they, they get all muddied and people don't do a great job of trying to unmuddy him where you say Justin Fields is going to command a first round pick. And then you say, he's going to go to the Falcons. Well, the Falcons aren't going to trade the number eight pick most no. likely. And so then he would probably command a high two. And so sometimes when you're talking about what is the trade compensation that the bears are going to get back by trading Justin Fields, it depends on what team they're actually trading with to, to see what they have to give and what they're willing to give given their picks available in their current situation and so all that stuff is is really fluid and it just it, it makes me laugh a little bit there's there's you know things in this business that will make you laugh because they're not tethered to nfl reality one of them is like the concept of guys whose uh pre-draft stock is shooting up the draft board you know in the month of march when you're like no like these these teams have had it just means more people in the league are telling reporters how they feel about a guy it doesn't mean they just 
turned on the tape on the, the first Saturday of March and decided, oh, man, this guy suddenly caught my eye and he's shooting up the draft board. So um, I don't know. Anyway, that's a little aside. <laughs> it was a good one, though. We wrapped up a lot of stuff. Dan, anything else? That's all I got. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff today. Good stuff. And we will be back here next week talking about the Bears offseason NFL Combine time in Indianapolis. Dan will be there. We'll be talking about it. You can listen to all the analysis on the Mullen Haw Show weekday mornings, 530 to 10 on 670 Score and 670score.com. You can get the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. And you can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page whenever you want. For Adam Stadzinski, our mailman, for Dan Weaver, <laughs> I am David Haw. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.